Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Real Forno Show on this beautiful Monday evening. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis, and as you can see up top, Dave, I got the point right this week. I, I, you know what? I feel pretty good about that. Anyways, we are going to talk two more Vikings draft picks here tonight: Brian Asamoa and a Caleb Evans, and what they bring to this Vikings defense. What struggles that they might have that cause them to fall to the third and the fourth rounds, respectively, and how they make sense as far as what the draft strategy is. So stick around on tonight's episode of The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Tyler Fornis, contributor at NBC Sports Edge and USA Today's Vikings Wire, along with being a member at Climbing the Pocket. Boom, and I, I see already, Dave, that mm. Ryan has hacked Drew's YouTube account or Facebook <laughs> or wherever he's posting from. Uh, the only person whose favorite draft pick was Brian Osimo is Ryan Ortega, a member of the network. Come on, Drew. Come on. I, I know what's going on here. It's okay. You can admit it. But anyways, welcome to The Real Forno Show. Um, I was just spending uh, my afternoon working, and then I saw I got to finally get some Osamoa tape in and... We're going to talk about that and Caleb Evans, who I watched last week, and I am very excited to talk about both of them. But in the meantime, Dave, how are you? Good. Enjoying the heat. It's a little warm down here. What is it down there right now, like 90? Uh, it's 97, I think. It was 72 here today, and it was glorious. Yes. Absolutely that's, glorious. The spring in Minnesota is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. It's nice it's, weather. It's before the mosquitoes come out. It's, you know, perfect. Fish fish are starting to do their thing. You know, just absolutely wonderful. Nick says it was 107 here yesterday. Joseph, skull, brother, skull. Well, guys, welcome back to another great show. Obviously, we are past the schedule release. Rookie camp has started, and we're eventually going to get full mini camp here within a couple of weeks. And then OTAs, and then we're going to be waiting until that day towards the end of June, where the Vikings finally get to training camp. And we get to some really big talking points. But until then, we're going to be talking about the draft class. And next week is just going to kind of be a final wrap-up. And then after that, not 100% sure what direction we're going to go, but we're going to have something really fun planned throughout the rest of the the off-season. And Dave... Have you had a chance to watch either of these players, Asamoa or Caleb Evans? I have not. So I'm listening just like you are. You know, all I care about is big round bellies. We already went over at Ingram, so <laughs> I've had my fill so far. Uh, people are asking about OTAs. I believe the veterans reported today. Oh, that, that was today already. Oh, yeah. heck yeah. All right, so we may be getting some content here later this week. And um, at the end of the show, obviously, Dave will kind of set the table for the rest of the week. Um, yes, yes, Drew, I am wearing a wild shirt. Um, when you when you speak with Ted, tell him he's a wonderful person and I hate him. Um, <laughs> and the Blues suck. I don't know why. Ryan O'Reilly is like my least favorite hockey player. And he shouldn't be because he's skilled and he's got an incredible work ethic. I just don't like him. Maybe it's because he's not on my team. But... I digress. Dave, we're going to talk Brian Asamoah here. Okay. And um, what are your brief thoughts about Brian Asamoah kind of from the macro view because you haven't had a chance to watch him with any kind of depth yet? My brief thoughts is he's sort of small. He's fast. He, he fires at a hole like a bullet. He likes um, – and that comes out of the Sooner defense. It's see something, commit, go. Boom. Mm-hmm. I like that. He tackles well, but I still worry about that he's small. He's fast, sideline to sideline. That's cool. We like that in a linebacker. It's just I I suspect from my initial readings and what I've heard, he will come in as a special teams guy, guaranteed to start special teams, and then try to work his way into the linebacker rotation. Yeah, I think that's what's going to eventually end up happening with him as well. 
one of the interesting things you brought up there is that he's he's a really good tackler. I agree and disagree at the same time because what, when I was watching him, he didn't miss any tackles and he was he was getting guys down to the ground. I worry about how he's getting guys down to the ground. He's kind of grabbing them around the shoulder pads and throwing them down. Whereas he's not necessarily getting it squaring up and getting a nice form tackle. And I worry that against some of these NFL caliber athletes, he's going to struggle getting them down uh, in that kind of violent manner without using as good a form as he potentially could, because there's just so much more explosiveness and strength in the NFL. Obviously when you're playing in the big 12, you're playing against a lot of really good offensive players, guys like uh, Abram Smith, who uh, should have been drafted, but wasn't um, running back at Baylor. Bijan Robinson from Texas. Like you're, you're playing some dudes. And if you're just grabbing by the shoulder pads and just kind of like torquing your body and whipping them down, that's you're not going to be able to do that to everyone. And I wish that I would have seen a little bit more form tackle ability from him because he has it. These in the little bit that I was exposed to, there's really not a lot of consistency with how he tackles. And I kind of worry at, the, at this level, he's going to be taken advantage of in that facet. Is it that, or has he gone, been taught the, you know, don't take the guy's head off, don't hit him below the, or at the knees, don't do all that, the whole new safety culture that's being brought up. And he's doing it with the, you know, the proper technique where you reach and you grab and you twist versus going through somebody like we used to do. I think it could be some of that. I don't necessarily care that he's not like going all Steve Atwater on guys. I, I, look, those days were fun. Those, uh, mm-hmm. those film clips, incredible. Steve Atwater knocking out three guys in the same play at the end of Super Bowl 31. Legendary moment. Like I don't need that from Osimo. I don't need him to be the guy who can do that. I just want to see, hey, I'm going to square up to you. I'm going to keep my head up. I'm going to wrap you, and I'm going to drive through you and take you down. Like, it doesn't need to be super explosive. I just want to see a little bit of consistency with, hey, I'm just going to play this the right way, just solid tackling form. And it's not that he can't do it. He was just doing other things to get people to the ground. And I worry about how that's going to impact him long-term because you're going up just against inherently better and stronger players. Mm-hmm. Much. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, Nick, I will not be joining you on the abs bandwagon, just an FYI, unless uh, Peter Forsberg and Joe Sackick are about to start um, for your team. It was some Chris Drury and Adam Deadmarsh. I'm good, my man. I'm good. Landis guy can eat a ton of bricks. Don't like him at all. Jason points this out. Is part of that tackling technique what he uses to shed blocks? So here's the interesting part. In the couple games I watched, he didn't engage much. It was almost like he was playing smart and just kind of getting small and creeping up to the offensive line, but never fully engaging. So he never actually got swallowed up. It, it was like, like remember what we saw with Chaz Surratt last year mm-hmm. and him going and like against competition in the ACC, he was just getting swallowed up because he would engage with these offensive linemen. Asamo is kind of doing a different thing where he's not engaging at all, just kind of floating around the line of scrimmage, and then he uses his eyes to see what the running back's doing, and then he'll shoot. He knows that he can't get swallowed up, and he knows that he's going to struggle shedding the block, so he just doesn't get himself into a, a position where he's going to get swallowed up. And I really respect that. You're, you know what your limitations are, and you're trying to maximize your ability. And I, I feel like that's not going to be as successful in the National Football League, but I like that he's not putting himself in situations to fail. And... That's something, um, Nick, I know we did, with Vikings didn't see him, but it was littered all over his college tape. And then the little snaps that we saw from him during the preseason kind of uh, bore that out too. So it's a, it's a very complicated thing with Chaz Surratt. He's fine. He exists. He's decent. But the guy should not be playing NFL linebacker because he can't shed a single block. And I think Asamoah 
when he's been half engaged, he's been able to shed some tight ends. He's been able to kind of get away from uh, the offensive line, getting a full grip on him. And I think those are nice things that you can kind of keep developing and grow within himself as a player. But being that he's only like, he's like 230, he's not a big dude. Yeah, he's not big. But what I I find nice, he moves like a safety. This is a guy you could play as a money backer who can do a little bit of everything. You uh, you can use him in, in like a a true nickel formation. He can be like an extra safety. Um, you could play four corners and Harrison Smith, or like your, if you especially if you drop Lewis Cena into the slot, and all of a sudden you can have Osmoa play like a robber. There's a lot of different things you can do here, and I think uh, the additions of Osmoa and Cena are going to be able to give Ed Donatel a lot of different things to play with. And a lot of different schemes and sub packages that he can use. And then, hey, if you want to send the house and you need to drop Os Amoa into like it true deep coverage, I think you have he has the ability to do that in certain situations. Um, Nick is the JOK comp a solid one. I don't think he's he's quite a, as explosive and rangy as JOK. But if you want to get a general play style comparison, it's not super far off. I think JOK was more of a safety than Asamoa. Asamoa is more of a linebacker. So it basic comp. Yeah. Sorry, I'm kind of talking my way through it, but JOK is such a unique Enigma player. Um, I think Osimo is going to be better playing in the box than he's going to be uh, dropping in his zones consistently and going into a deep middle. But in sub packages, you can absolutely utilize him in doing so, especially because it'll confuse defenses, yada, yada, bing, bang. I think Osimo can be a really nice, versatile chess piece for you. Do you think he'll make the rotation by halfway through the season? I think he'll on the defense. I think he'll start getting snaps right away, and like it may only be twenty snaps a game, but I think getting a rotation, playing him with either Jordan Hicks or Eric Kendricks on the field, I think Asamoa can be utilized, especially on third downs, because I think he has good coverage skills. He's got great sideline to sideline speed, and he doesn't over pursue. He's always looking at the ball, and I think for me that was a big thing. He always has this general feel of what's going on in front of him. So he's not making mistakes. And when you have that, not making mistakes is sometimes just as good as making a play because mistakes can just absolutely cripple you. And he understands, Hey, you know, there's one play I watched was a jet sweep and he's moving laterally. Well, he sees that the blockers are already this far out runners right here. So, he kind of stays inside and waits for the runner to stop and break right back into him. And then he's able to make the play. Whereas a less experienced player who's not really using his vision as well as he could is over pursuing and going straight to the sideline, thinking they're going to break the edge. He realizes that he has guys that are setting the edge and then kicking it back inside. So he can make that play. I like seeing that. I think that he's a good football player. But I also see why he was available in round three. Based on how the Vikings seem to have stacked their board, I get why they prioritized him at this spot. I don't know if I would have prioritized him at this spot. I I don't think he's inherently better than some of the other guys that came off the board later than him. Darian Beavers, the Cincinnati linebacker, went off the board in round seven. I thought that they would have been valued around the same spot. So if you could get Darian Beavers in round seven, uh, that's to me. That's inherently more value than Asamoah in round three. Yeah, but is <clears throat> we see one thing as fans, and the team sees other things that go into their evaluation. Besides, mm-hmm. you know, the speed metrics they're seeing, the on-field speed metrics um, mm-hmm. versus seeing, you know, just a forty-yard time with a ten-yard split, you know, three-cone drills, stuff like that. We all get can see some of that data, but they're seeing more data. They're also getting into the psychological portion of it. There's other things that teams evaluate. 
And then the biggest component of that is how will it fit their system? And if this player, this candidate, is a good fit or not, and then that bumps them up the board. What I heard today is that the Vikings purposely moved down because they thought there was more available quality in that second-ish tier, mm-hmm. and they grabbed everybody from you know round two through four, and uh, they were happy with it. And they got the guys they wanted. So, But we hear that every year. So I, I don't know if it's true, but as we always say, we shall see. I think the one thing that you can kind of take from that specifically, Dave, and realize, hey, it probably does have some merit to it, even though everybody's going to say that. You could see, and obviously it's edited, and it's it's the team releasing it himself with those draft videos, um, mm-hmm. that 20-minute video like released by the team, which obviously you have to take with a grain of salt because it's the team releasing their own media, you know, how much of it's a reality. But well, they're going to be highlight reels. Yeah. yeah. You could tell that there was real emotion and real passion with um, the talk of like Quasi oh, and Kevin O'Connell. Yes. And how they wanted to attack this draft. And like the reactions were genuine. You could, you can just feel Quasi is one of the most genuine, likable people in the history of the planet Earth. Like just, just listening to him talk and the way he interacts with people, the way he speaks, like he speaks with a level of intelligence that is just above a lot of people in NFL front offices, just with how he communicates with us. Because Rick Spielman, uh, like, is an inherently smart man. Just look at his career in the NFL and the great things he's done. But the way he spoke to us was in a completely different level. And in my opinion, it was way worse than what Quasey brings to us. Quasey's talking to me like almost like he's a college professor in grad school, like trying to walk me through the process of a problem. Like that's a special quality about a human being. And you could just tell he's so passionate and genuine. I feel like watching that video that breakdown of kind of like the documentary of the draft that the team released, I feel like that was about as legit as you're going to get for any anything like that. Well, and Kwesi also today speaking, Kwesi hired uh, former 49ers Director of Research and Development, Demetrius Washington, to be the new Vice President of Football Operations. He is starting mm-hmm. to change that front office, like we said would happen after the draft. And Demetrius Washington is held the same position he did and is another analytics type individual from what I gather. Hey, that's good. Um, it's about one, bringing smart people in the building, two, people you know you can trust, mm-hmm. and three, the other thing, which I think uh, the fact that we haven't seen more turnover at this point yet is good. You want dissension in the building to a point. You don't want everybody to inherently agree on everything because, like, I, I kind of relate it to to politics. Not like, yet. if you're a republic, if you're a Republican, you want you want a Democrat on your side, and vice versa. You want to be able to sit in a room and talk stuff out and be like, "I don't agree with you." Well, I don't agree with you. Well, you talk about it and you figure it out together and you problem solve. Having some dissension in the building from that aspect is going to be healthy for this team long term as long as this method of collaboration doesn't expand to a point where it's not about the best interests of the team, but rather the best interests of myself. And as long as we continue on a path of, hey, collaboration is good, we're going to make sure we talk it out, we're going to make sure we get the, all the right information and data that we need to make the proper decisions, we get all that taken care of, Dave. Like This is a really good model that can work for a long time. And I'm very excited about the direction. I love that he's not just completely overhauling everything because uh, based on the interview process, my understanding is that Jamal Stevenson and Ryan Mullins are staying same with Rob Brzezinski. And obviously mm-hmm. things can change at any moment, but being that they were so heavily involved in the process, it feels like it wasn't so much their abilities were questioned, but rather the decision-making above them was what they wanted to fix more than anything. Right. So I think the additions of a guy like Brian Gregson 
who has really revitalized his career by learning from people like Andrew Barry and Quasi Adolfo Mensa, I think is inherently good. And then you bring in this gentleman that you spoke of to be Quasi's old job, the VP of football ops, uh, what he, the position that he held to the Browns. I think you're looking at an organization that's really trying to build from multiple aspects, analytics, true football guys. You're doing a little bit of everything. And that is how you really build a complete team because you have a little bit of everything. Hey, hope it works. We could use it. Oh, we absolutely can use it. Go ahead, Dave. You were going to say something. Um, I was just going to say, is there any more on Asamoa that you wish to discuss? I think if you deploy him in space and you allow him to be able to attack um, horizontally and just be like, hey, spy the quarterback. I get If you're playing a guy like Lamar Jackson, I think this is a great player to use as a spy because he can move sideline to sideline. He's not going to over-pursue consistently. He's going to play smart within himself. And I think that this is a role that he could be really good at right away. And he can continue to develop all aspects of his game. Yeah, I think he's still a year or two. And say quarterback commits to a mm-hmm. run, he can then shoot up and tackle him at the line of scrimmage for no gain, which is always a good thing. Always a good. Thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think he's still a year away from being like a, a true starter. But considering you have Eric Kendricks and Jordan Hicks, you get him in a rotation. I think he can learn on the fly, and you can feel pretty comfortable about that. Do you think he'll bump ahead of Chaz Surratt? I, I'm not convinced Chaz Surratt will make the team. Okay. This, or, this regime doesn't have any connection to any of those guys drafted last year. We could see all four third-round picks be cut, and I would not be shocked. It would, it, would it would feel – it would be something. And I'm not going to say it's going to happen. But I'm also not ruling the idea out. Patrick Jones didn't show anything super impressive. Wyatt Davis didn't get on the field. Chaz Surratt barely got on the field. Kellen Mond was spoken about as being a mitigated disaster. Well, see, I they, like some of the stuff Patrick Jones did. But <clears> – <throat> He's yeah. go, he's he's going to be rotational if anything this season mm-hmm. again. So it could come down, um, and I think uh, a friend of the network Luke Braun from Lockdown Vikings kind of mm-hmm. talked about this last week. It could come down to like him or DJ Wanham, like him, DJ Wanham, Janarius Robinson. Like these guys are all kind of in the same glut. Kenny Willickis too. Is anybody truly better than anybody else? Like it's really kind of a pick your poison. What kind? What player do you want there? Um, G Mac. It would be a great waste to get rid of all these third round picks, but Quasi didn't make them, mm-hmm. and and that needs to be at least buried into your brains a little bit because if he cuts at anybody that was a high draft pick just recently, like it's not going to be that surprising. No, and I don't think so. Now, Janarius Robinson, he came off the injury, so I suspect he'll get a better look this spring and fall and mm-hmm. and camp in the preseason. But you're you're quite right. With that, we move out of the third round, and who was our fourth rounder? A Caleb Evans, the corner out of Missouri. Uh, now, he spent four years at Tulsa before transferring to Missouri for his final season in 2021. Um, if you remember and you are a uh, a big big into college football and draft Twitter, um, Caleb Evans was posting every day that he had a scholarship offer from somebody. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, this guy's got like 30 scholarship offers. Where is he going to play football? He ended up picking Missouri. It ended up being a pretty good pick for him. Um, his teammate also followed him to Missouri in that same defensive backfield. He did not end up getting drafted, but Evans did. And from my initial viewings, what I remembered from Evans was big guy, kind of stiff in the hips, not necessarily the most fluid athlete, but he's tall, he's long, 
really felt like a Seattle cover three corner. Well, when the Vikings picked him, I was a little annoyed. And you can go back to the day three coverage when we did select a Caleb Evans. And I was talking about Zion McCollum and Tariq Wollin, mm-hmm. how they were just freaky athletes. And I'm like, hey, they've got flashes of being great corners. Let's try and develop the great athlete in this spot. Well, Quasey talked about watching film in a dark room and just falling in love with the player. That player was, was a Caleb Evans. And when I sat down and, and got to watch him really more in depth, I watched a lot of 2020 um, because my viewings of him were from 2021. So I went back and what I saw was a much better athlete than I anticipated. One that lines up with his 96 percentile relative athletic score, a guy who can mirror and he, his hips can be in a little bit of an issue, but it was much less so than I thought. He knows how to mirror coverage. He knows how to explode um, in and out of breaks. And he does a great job being sticky with the receiver to make sure that the quarterback doesn't have a big window to throw the football. And he plays really well in a cover three system or cover three style where he's just dropping mm-hmm. and he's playing bail. But he can play press. He, he can play man and stick with the receiver throughout. And I thought Evans was a really good corner in that aspect. Um, <laughs> Joseph, um, Houston Oilers. Hey, you know what? I, I love me some Houston Oilers, but I am, I, I am, I am trying to focus here. So now, now you've got me all out of sorts, Joseph. Let me refresh here. All right. So back, back to Evans. I think the one thing that uh, is going to get a lot of the talking points as we continue to go throughout the offseason and talk about this draft class, Evans' ball skills stink. They're not good. They are That's why he's rough. not wide receiver. <laughs> mm-hmm. I posted a play where um, he, he got beat initially on a blaze route and then caught up to it, and he ended up making the PBU. But somebody's like, why are you complaining about this play? Because he he made the play. Well, it was more about the lack of awareness and how late he got to the ball when he could have gotten to the ball much quicker and much more effectively. Just because you make the play doesn't mean it was necessarily a great play. You're like Quarterbacks that end up completing a pass, like if the ball gets tipped up 10 feet in the air, does it mean it's a good throw? Just because it worked out, that do, like it doesn't always equate to the same thing. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, he does have ball skills, Mateo, but it, let's kind of talk through this because it's it's something that needs to be unlocked from him. He has the ability, he has the time, he has the length and the space to do it. He just doesn't have the mindset right now to attack consistently at the ball because he's in position a lot. But he just, for whatever reason, it's not fully clicking. And I think when you get him into a room with Patrick Peterson and Cameron Dantzler, and you have a guy like Andrew Booth Jr. who has excellent ball skills, some of that's going to rub off on him. And he's going to start really learning how he can utilize his body, his athleticism, his his frame, just to get to the football. Like He's got all the ability. He's He needs to put it together. It needs to click for him. And if he's able to unlock that, you're talking about a starting caliber corner that you got in round four. The price you paid for him, a future four and 156 to get him at 118, it's not a small price, but it's also not, you're also not giving up the farm to do it. If you think this guy can be a starter for your football team, this is a, a trade that you will make 10 out of 10. Well, I look forward to seeing him try to contain wide receivers like Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Because they're going to Yeah, and uh, Oh, yeah. I think that's going to be really good for him because in, pre- in man coverage, he's not the most fluid with the hips. He's fine. And I think fine is a really good description of him. Um, and I, I think going up against those guys in practice is going to be kind of one of those things, Dave. Iron sharpens iron. And we're going to see him consistently um, learn in that element. And I'm very excited to watch him uh, come training camp because this is a guy that if you can 
if you can unlock those ball skills, he's got a little bit of everything else. He he is a willing tackler. And I think that's another thing with these corners. Not only do we draft guys with quick 10-yard splits, we drafted guys with good size and length and their willingness to play the run. Like, I don't think he's quite as good in the running game as Andrew Booth Jr., but a Caleb Evans is not afraid to get his face and hands dirty uh, in the middle of a scrum and like break through a block in order to get the ball carrier down. They both have that little bit of dog in them in the running game. And I like that with my corners. I like them to be a little feisty, a little spunky. I'm, hey, I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to take you down. I like that. And I think he has that in him. I think he's going to be a good player. At the very least, He, I think he'll be a rotational guy early on, and we'll kind of see how quickly he can develop. Now, here's the catch. He ha- doesn't have great ball skills now. He may never figure it out. And if he doesn't figure it out, it's really going to limit his potential in the ceiling. But I think he can figure it out. And I think at the very least, he'll be a good rotational corner. I wonder if they put him inside and let him play in the slot because he has that length and the ability or his athleticism may help him compensate for the fact that he's not going to be the most fleet of foot with quick foot speed. Wow. I'm intrigued because they really don't have a true slot guy. Cam Dancer can't play slot. Patrick Peterson, you probably don't want him to, but can he? Oh, maybe. Andrew Booth Jr.'s never played slot. Somebody's got to do it. It's probably not going to be Shannon Sullivan. You got Sullivan and you've got uh, the other kid that I looked up for this weekend. Perry Nickerson? um, Who had better stats than Sullivan. Actually, he was pretty good. The kid from uh, Harrison, from Denver. Oh, Harrison, yes. If you looked at his scores – and he didn't. Get, he only had a few hundred snaps last year. But you looked at the at his scores when he played slot. He was scoring well into the seventies. And when he played outside, he wasn't scored as well. And it was like, well, that's sort of confusing because playing outside is a little easier. The fact that you've got the sideline helping you. Playing in the slot, you got two way breaks that you've got to cover and stuff like that. But he did extremely well in the slot. And I look forward to seeing him get time pressure. We've got we've got a corner room now that seems to have enough depth that it can at least make for a fun competition and watch these guys grow. Roger was talking about he's going to be a special teamer. That I suspect. I suspect mm-hmm. he'll be on the gunning teams, um, stuff like that. He will be there, and he's going to have to earn his spot that way. He's going to have to learn to take NFL hits that way and uh, at, at this position. But if he turns into anything, got to remember, he's a fourth-rounder. If he does stuff on special teams this year, that's good. You got value, right? If he turns into a starter later down the road, that's even better because you get – above expectation of where you purchased him, right? Where you drafted him. That's why the layers of the draft. If he works out, hey, cool beans. I'm all for it. Um, we'll see. I, li- I like the competition. I like the depth of our corner room right now. I wish we had. I think Peterson's, you know, on that downslide. Booth, I think, is going to start. I think. Um, the needle should probably start to, but all three of those, they don't play slot. So our slot guy is going to be different. Now, whether he, this kid gets some time at slot or if it's Sullivan or Harrison, we'll have to watch. Yeah, it that is going to be uh, really, really interesting. And we're going to kind of delve into that as uh, the... Drew asked, how many corners will they keep on the roster? I'd say six. Um, so I think the guarantees to make the roster right now are Cam Dantzler, Patrick Peterson, Andrew Booth Jr., and a Caleb Evans. Those four are going to make the roster. Then you have your Shannon Sullivan's, Perry Nickerson, Hairston, um, Harrison Hand, Chris Boyd. Chris Boyd, I think, is almost a guarantee to make the roster because he's so good as a special teams gunner. Um, but... 
I don't know. Maybe Ed Donatel doesn't like uh, what Chris Boyd brings to the table. There are a lot of what ifs with this regime because there's just so much difference from what Mike Zimmer brought to us. I'm really excited about kind of diving into the direction. Linebackers, true linebackers, it's going to be four or five because the way this system is set up, it's basically a five-man front with two uh, true linebackers because you have your three defensive linemen and your two like edge rushers, your Daniil Hunter and Zadarius Smith players. They're going to be considered a different position. So you're going to inherently have way more defensive linemen than you're going to be linebackers. Whereas Mike Zimmer's system, you wanted to carry six because you had three on the field consistently. And then you had um, Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks who almost never left the field. So you're going to have to... Like you, it, it's just a shift in philosophy. So you're going to have good players not make the team because Jordan Hicks, Eric Hendricks are going to make the team. Same with Brian Asamoa. So that last spot, it's probably a battle between like Blake Lynch, uh-huh. Troy Dye, and um, Chaz Surratt. I'm sorry. Joseph sent me a photo. He wants me to do some of my work with it. Oh boy! What's the photo of? Of uh, our tight end Nick Muse. Okay. All right. Well, hey, Dave. Um, I th- uh, we kind of got through this a little quickly today, so here's what I want to do. I'm gonna okay. uh, open it up to questions. So, everybody, if you have any questions, we'll kind of do a quick Q and A before we get out of here because we do have about 20 minutes left. But we got through everything that we wanted to get through. Or- little quicker than normal today, which is always good. Okay. Um, but And then um, while the questions kind of, if we can get some loaded up in the chat, um, you can you can just ask anything, like football, like I don't care. Just let's have some fun. Um, Dave, we got to talk about our wonderful friends, um, Lake Monster Brewing. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to take some crawlers home after the live show, and I tried an apricot ghosts with uh my wife and some friends yesterday and oh my goodness tremendous just a nice balance of flavor and just a crisp delicious summer beer to finish uh, off my evening here last night and lake monster does it right i still have a rare species in Uh my fridge that i'm gonna end up diving into and then i got a whip beer as well so we are gonna have some fun but let me tell you, if you like great beer, you like great people, um, everybody there is just super nice. Uh, it's a great location. There's usually a food truck out front. Um, I recommend going to Lake Monster, especially if you want to end up going to Can-Can Wonderland. They're only about two minutes down the street from Can-Can Wonderland. So I recommend you give, give our friends at Lake Monster a shout. And if you're out of state, contact them. They might be able to ship you some beer. So... Like they, I know they've shipped Dave some beer, so like get up, get a hold of them, grab some delicious beer. You will not regret it. It is good beer. It is good beer. So I can't, mm-hmm. I can't deny that for nothing. It's real good beer. Yeah. <clears throat> and especially since it's getting warmer, and you want something refreshing, it hits mm-hmm. the spot. All right, we've already got a few questions that have rolled in. First, all right, off, let's start. Fire away. First off, I don't want to make sure I don't miss any. First one was from Dan. How many defensive tackles do we keep? Now that we're playing a 3D front. Considering what kind of positions are going to end up playing, I would say six. Um, And it depends if you're going to assess the Oromewo, if you're going to count him as an edge rusher, if you're going to count him as a defensive tackle because I think he's a hybrid guy that can do a little bit of both. You're probably going to end up keeping um, at least these four, Dalvin Tomlinson, Harrison Phillips, Armand Watts, James Lynch. I think those are your pretty much, these guys will be playing football for the Vikings next year. After that, I'd say Odomewo is probably going to be your fifth guy. And then the the other five on the defensive line are going to be edge rushers. Probably Daniil Hunter, Zadarius Smith, DJ Wanham, I would venture to guess Patrick Jones, mm-hmm. and then um, I would go Kenny Willikis over Janarius Robinson just because I think Willikis 
has shown that he can be a good rotational piece at this point. And Robinson, we just don't know anything about yet. Mateo, speaking of edge wrestlers, asks about Luigi Villain. Mm-hmm. Is he legit? So he, he's weird. He's got the athletic profile. He's got the size. He couldn't break through in Michigan. And some of that had to do with the depth that they had at edge rusher. But some of it had to do with his play wasn't all that great. If you can unlock something from him because you have that athletic and size profile and you can kind of coach him up, this could be a guy that could be a good rotational piece for you. Um, I don't know if you're going to be able to get anything from him, but just the sticker, what you're looking at on paper is exciting. So I, that's a great dart you want to throw. It's, it's, this is, Luigi would be the epitome of a Rick Spielman seventh round pick. Hey, this guy played defense and he is very, very fast. Let's draft him. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Roger asks, who's going to be starting at right guard? I have my answer. If I had to bet money on it right now, I'm going to put the money on Chris Reed. Um, and then because I think even though it's been alluded to us that he's going to get an opportunity at center, I really think they want Garrett Bradbury to play center, whether we like it or not. That's just the feeling I get from everything we've heard from Kevin O'Connell and Quasi Dopamensa. And Reed, I think, is the best option at right guard if he's not going to be playing center. If he ends up playing center, I'm going to go at Ingram. That's my choice. Read the center, Ingram the right guard. Roger That's the ideal, asks, but I don't know. Will Mond be the backup slash number two QB this year? Uh, here's going to be the question. Does he look like booty in training camp? That's going to be your answer. If he looks any kind of decent, hey, he's going to be the backup quarterback. I even got a huddle picture of John David Booty. So uh, he made the play. Mateo says, mark my word, Jalen Twyman will make the team and contribute. We will I hope it. he does. Mateo I loved Jalen Twyman. I had him as a third-round grade. He obviously bombed the testing, but like when you wear 97 at Pitt as a small defensive tackle, you're going to get a lot of lazy Aaron Donald comps. But he made some ridiculous plays that were like, wow. Like Aaron Donald used to make some of those type of plays. I don't think they're the same player. I don't think Twyman is close to the athlete that Aaron Donald was. Aaron Donald was a freak show. But I think Twyman has the ability with his quickness off the ball to be able to be a good player um, on the interior of that defensive line if he's given a, a real opportunity. But that also comes down to, hey, this guy you know, was injured last year. He didn't play. He was a sixth-round draft pick of the previous regime. Will he get a true fair run? Like These are questions that we have to answer. Uh, Purple Hayes, which is the bigger game, Philly or Miami? I'd say Miami. Miami's late in the year. Um, I I think both – like, it's the NFL. They are both inherently big games. But – if you're talking at the end of the day, which one's going to end up meaning more? That Philly game is pro, or sorry, the Miami game is probably going to have more riding on it because the Vikings are going to be in playoff contention or are going to need that win at that specific moment. So that's why I lean Miami. But as far as a quality game, I'm really intrigued to see how they match up with Philly and Jalen Hurts well, because Hurts has weapons around him. I think the Philly game is bigger one because it's a conference game, and two. Like you said, it's it's going to be more of a challenge. I don't think the Vikings are going to have a hard time with Miami, but you never know. Vikings are Vikings and will Viking. So mm-hmm. Joseph heard that Kyle Hinton may be competing to center after three years. Do you think he has a shot? After watching a little bit of his film, which I was surprised I was able to get a little bit of a Washburn film when he came out and was drafted two years ago. I like what Hinton has. 6'2", like 290, has a lot of speed, played left tackle, so you know he can anchor a little bit. But obviously the athletes he played with um, or played against at Washburn are a little bit different than the athletes you're going to face in the National Football League. I like the idea of giving Hinton a true run, a true test to see if he can be that guy. I don't know if he can, but it would be a really cool story to see him as a seventh-round left tackle move inside the center and become a good starter 
Like that, that's a great dart throw to make it, the perfect Rick Spielman special. But the Vikings historically have taken centers and made them really good players out of late round picks. Matt Berg, um, John Sullivan were the last two. Like maybe Hinton can be the next guy. I'm not going to bet on it, but I want to see him play. Okay, Roger asked again. Prediction for, I assume, Mond, it was spell checked wrong. Uh, second string or same as last year? I'm going to say that he's second string. Um, but don't be shocked if they really manipulate the practice squad and bring up Mannion a bunch and then eventually just elevate him to the 53. Uh, Greg Olson was on the Dave Jr. Dale Jr. show. Let's see. Had some great insight on the, how intense the combine was. Well, maybe next year Tyler will make the combine himself in person. That's the goal. G-Max, John David's nephew, General Booty, signed with Oklahoma. Yep. Uh, top Juco quarterback available, General Booty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really can't make that up. His name is General, General Booty. Booty. Yep. So we'll see, we'll see how he plays. Um, Oklahoma's in a weird spot this year. They don't have a quarterback. They have a few guys who could be really good, but they have nobody truly entrenched as a starter. They have about seven guys who are, who think they have a chance to compete for it. We'll see. It'll probably end up being Dylan Gabriel, the transfer from uh, UCF, who ended up committing at one point to UCLA, but flipped to Oklahoma. So that'll be a fun quarterback battle to watch come August. Mateo, it is crazy that I think signed – uh, or seen could lead this team in forced fumbles, but all, but also in unnecessary roughness penalties. I'd rather I like a guy who hits hard. I think he's more calculated than he is reckless with his hits. Obviously, the one people are going to point to is where he knocked him and uh, Kyle Pitts out with just one shot, and he ended up getting ejected for targeting. I think that was more of an anomaly. He usually plays more controlled when he's hitting people. Where he loses control is just over-pursuing and taking not the best angles. So I think long-term, I'm not super worried about him getting too many unnecessary roughness calls. Drew asks, can this team make get to the playoffs and can it win the division? Yeah, I think both of them are are fair to talk about. I think the division is less likely in the playoffs, obviously. You're still playing against Aaron Rodgers, and that defense is still loaded. Uh, Obviously, the main questions they have are in the interior of their offensive line and at the wide receiver position, but you still have Aaron Rodgers, and you still have a really good running game with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. So I hesitate to crown them as far as anything right now, but I will tell you I do like the fact that they can do all of those things. We'll see if they do. Purple Hayes asks, think Madison will be traded before the opener? If a team has a lot of running back injuries and you can get a, like a fifth-round pick for them before cutdown, I think that that is a possibility, yes. Fifth round seems awful high for for running backs that, and Sony Michelle with no knees went for a fourth and a seventh last year. Damn. Uh, G back is there. Major booty. I don't know. There could be. That, that I'm going to be honest. That sounds like it, it could be like a rapper name, like mm-hmm. major booty. Like I, I like that. That's fun. G <laughs> back. I knew when the word Oklahoma came out, Ryan would hear it. Yes, he would. <laughs> It's only a matter of time. Mateo, the reasons I say unnecessary roughness penalties is how the league has changed because of Harry gets called on him. um, And he hits less hard than Sheen did in college. The way Sheen hits regularly, I'm not super worried about it. He is pretty controlled on how he, he does hit receivers. There were a couple reckless ones, and I kind of addressed it with the Kyle Pitts hit, but he's going to have a couple, yeah. But I don't think it's going to be this overarching problem. Like, It's not like, hey, Dalvin Cook fumbles the ball. Adrian Peterson had a fumbling problem. 
Mm-hmm. It's going to be more Dalvin Cook than Adrian Peterson if you catch my draft. Mateo asked Ryan, and you could ask him Wednesday night because we're going to have a show Wednesday night. Uh, wondering when uh, the Sooners are going to try to join the SEC. I've heard fall 2023. And then we'll kind of make this the, the last one. Looking forward to seeing providing Christian Watson's welcome to the NFL moment. Hey, you know what? If, if it helps us win the game, hell yeah, let's go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Dave, another fun show in the books here. But as we kind of alluded to earlier, and you mentioned, especially with Wednesday Vikings happy hour, um, we got we got some shows this week. What do we got on the well, lineup? In the huddle tomorrow night is a shmaby for all those okay. that have read X-Force. They'll understand where shmaby comes from. It's a shmaby. We'll see. I know uh, that uh, Jason wanted to do it, but there may be some things that come up, so it's a shmaby. Wednesday, however, we have Viking Happy Hour with a special guest, Luke Inman, the spin man, joining the gang, and they're going to be talking about his return to the Viking sphere and to talk football, what he thinks. So it should be a good show. Thursday night, normally we have Viking hot takes, but the guys are taking the week off. So you will have nothing until Saturday with me and Darren as two old bloggers continue on our recapping of what happens during the week. Also, on to our breakout players. And I believe this week, Darren has up in the queue Mr. Lynch on the defensive side of the ball. Can we see him take that next step and break out as a true asset on the defensive line? There we go. There we go. A lot of good stuff coming up from us here as well. Yeah, next week, uh, we will be talking uh, more overarching thoughts for the rest of the draft class. Um, I don't believe Christian Watson's a taller Troy Williamson. I think that's a little bit of an anomaly, but I love the the passion <laughs> and, and the dislike for the team from Wisconsin. All right. Um, and then uh, we're going to be diving in um, to some off-season stuff after we finish up with this draft class. Um, I don't know, um, just a programming note for me, David, I haven't talked to you about this yet, but there is a possibility there will not be a show on Memorial Day. Um, my wife's birthday is the day before, so I'm just trying to figure out logistics, but I will communicate that as soon as I know. At the very least, maybe we can record something and have it drop at 8 o'clock so we still have some content for you guys. Um, in the meantime, Dave, any final thoughts, my man? Well, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody out on the field. And once we get into camp in August, I really like that because that's when the things start to get really real. Um, and can't wait. But in the meantime, I'm going to catch the highlight films on Vikings.com. As you watch guys go around, you see Dalvin Cook in his number four jersey doing this today. Looks good on him. We shall see, though, how all this plays out. And they even mm-hmm. had the... Uh, Obligatory Kirk Cousins. So, what, uh, what do the, we say? The, the good old state-run media propaganda, Dave. And with hey. that, we are going to help them out with a good Skull Vikings, everyone. Skull Vikings! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell, and rate us on your favorite aggregator. And a special shout-out goes to our partners, the Daily Norsemen, where the best Vikings content can be found. And to Lake Monster Brewing, home of the best beer in Minnesota. Skull, everybody. Skull, everybody.